0: You have to draw a line in the sand. You have to build some boundaries.
1: Maybe I'm not the right one for it.
0: Uh, I'm to a point where I don't want to try anymore. You are hurting yourself. This is something we see regularly.
1: What is someone in your life fighting for? And how can you be there for them? Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Marriage Helper Studios that we are in right here in a little bit south of Nashville, Tennessee. We are having an awesome week. I typically update people on weather. That is how I've opened.
0: <laughs> Just in case it's important for <laughs> That's you to know, the weather in Middle Tennessee today, it's sunny, but there's <laughs> pollen everywhere.
1: Everywhere. And it is infected, all of us in the office, so... We are all on some kind of medication, Hmm. but (laughs) we are excited for today's show. It's going to be a good one. We have a lot of questions that people have emailed in, which we're excited to get to, but we're also excited for you to submit your questions in the chat box that we have live here on YouTube. So go ahead, chat those questions in. If you don't want to chat them in during our session then you can always email your questions to live at marriagehelper.com and we won't be able to get to those today, but they might go into the queue of something that we might answer on a future show. So we look forward to you sending in your questions, chatting them, emailing Mm -hmm. them to us at live at marriagehelper.com. We just look forward to connecting with you and communicating with you however we can. Joe, how are you doing today?
0: Other than the allergies, I'm doing great. Other
1: other than the allergies, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, we have some questions that this isn't one specific question that someone has sent in, but this is a theme that we're beginning to see a lot of people asking. A lot of people, even in the way that they are searching for answers on the Internet, this question keeps coming up a lot. And it has to do with women who are not happy with their marriage, but specifically women who are looking for how they can love their husband again because they have lost respect for their husband. They no longer feel attraction, love, whatever that might look like for their husband. So when there's a woman, specifically a wife who's in that state, maybe it's that, um, her husband's not helping out around the house. She feels like everything's on her. She's lost respect for him. Or maybe it's because her husband isn't stepping up in other ways, either with his job or there's something that, she, that he is doing or hasn't done that has led to her to lose respect for her husband. What is something she can do to get that feeling of respect back for him?
0: Well, when we talk about respect, it's, it's a major deal. Uh, Gottman pointed out, and when he was doing a literature review in the book, The Marriage Clinic, many years ago, that the three most common reasons that lead a person to want out of a marriage would be either, I don't feel like you love me, or I don't feel like you like me, or I don't feel that you respect me. So respect's a big deal. I mean, it's extremely important. Now, typically, though, we have to ask the question, what is it that has happened that has lessened, or maybe even done away with, the respect that you feel for your husband? Now, could it be that he is not meeting some kind of expectation that you have? Like, for example, you expect him to help around the house. That's one of the things that Kimberly mentioned. And since he's not helping around the house and, and you feel that you're doing it far more than your share, it's because he's not meeting that expectation that makes you feel or leads you to feel, I should say, leads you to feel that that you're not being respected. Or is it because of the fact that you've read some articles somewhere that really good husbands do this, that, or the other, and he's not doing that. And therefore you feel you don't respect him anymore. Or could it even be that your friends are telling you, this is what your husband should do. And this is what he should be about and all those kinds of things. And that would be the reason that you don't feel respect for him. You might be saying, what difference does it make Dr. Beam? Well, here's the difference. You really need to make sure that the expectation that you have is reasonable. And if your buddies, your pals, your friends are telling you what the expectations should be of your husband, they may not be reasonable at all. Now, because she thinks it should occur, it means that you think it should occur. Or even if you read an article that really good husbands do this, 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 and this, and therefore my husband's not doing those things and so I'm losing respect for him. So the first thing I would suggest is this, before you decide that you don't respect him, think about it in terms like this. He's not doing something that I'm expecting him to do. And that's why I feel this disrespect for him. He's not living up to my expectations. That's really what it's about. So first evaluate your expectations. Are they fair? Are they reasonable? And where do they come from? Are they actually originating someplace else and being placed on you? Hmm. If so, give up the ones that are unreasonable give up the expectations. I remember several years ago, a woman being so unhappy with her husband because she said, my father always treated me me as if I were a princess. And I think my husband should treat me like I'm a princess. Now, she actually said that not just to me, but a few people that were standing around, uh, three of whom were licensed professional counselors. (laughs) And I remember when we ended talking with her and she was Away, the three of us were talking, or the four of us were talking, and uh, the counselors were saying, You know, that smacks of narcissism. Now, we're not diagnosing her as a narcissist, but that smacks of narcissism. You want to be treated as if you're a princess? First of all, that's totally unrealistic. Secondly, how would you even measure it? All right, now, supposing that you get your expectations to be reasonable. I mean, I can reasonably expect this to occur. Say, both of you work outside the home and you come back to the home and uh, you're just as tired as he is and you need some help around the house, but he's not doing it. It would be reasonable to say, we need to split some of these things up. And so the next thing to do, once you decide if your expectations are reasonable, is to make them clear. Now listen to me clearly about the way to do this. If you do it in terms of, this is what you need to do, pal, (laughs) you may not react positively to that. Or, I'm so disappointed because you don't do this. In other words, what I'm trying to say is don't phrase it in any way that appears to attack him or to degrade him or even to disrespect him in the way that you say it. Tone of voice, body language, the look on your face, anything else. If you really want this to work well so you can feel what you used to feel and feel, okay, my expectations are being met, you speak about them from the frame of reference of yourself like you know we both work outside the home we get home there's so much housework to do and it's pretty well left up to me to do it and i feel that sometimes maybe i'm just uh, your maid instead of your wife and i'm not trying to beat you up and say that you think that way about me i'm telling you how i feel when you speak from the reference of your own standpoint how i feel it's more likely that the other person will hear what you're saying as opposed to an attack. So maybe say it even nicer than the way I just phrased it to say, I-, I feel unappreciated. I feel like most of the burden is mine and I really would appreciate some help. So if you do that and then a true conversation starts where you can kind of lay out, well, Kate, this is what I would appreciate you doing. What if we have it this way? You do this and I do that, et cetera. And we get all those kind of things done. What you want to do is to make it, if at all possible, a conversation, explaining what it is that you want from your reference, your standpoint, being reasonable throughout it. And then if he refuses to do that, nope, not doing it. You do your thing. I'll do mine. Now you've got some actual uh, real reasons to feel disrespect for him because he's not treating you as if you had value and worth. Now that's a different question we can deal with that in another way. But do you understand? First, make sure your expectations are reasonable. Then explain them to him from your own frame of reference, being careful not to attack him and disrespect him as you do. And when you lay those things out, say, will you do these for me, please? If he complies, you're going to be in great shape. If he doesn't comply, then you'll have to take it a step further than that. But that's not the question you ask me. So I'll only answer that if you tell me, if you're telling me that's what you want me to answer.
1: No, that that's really good. My, I had a good friend. I have a good friend. She's still a good friend of mine. And when my husband, for a quick background of um, people who may not know me, so my husband was in the military. He got out of the military about a year and a half ago now. And when he first got out, it was a huge change in our marriage, in um, him, first of all, because he had identified as a soldier for so many years. And so he got out, and he spent a lot of time just not doing anything. He was trying to figure out who he was, what he wanted to do with his life. But for me, being someone who he had always worked and you know the kind of person I am, I was very much like, you need to have a job. You need to go do something. You need to pick something. I don't care what it is. And so I felt like this woman losing respect for my husband because he wasn't doing something I thought he ought to be doing. And so my good friend, I was telling her about this um, probably six months into this process, and she said, Kimberly, one of the things you need to be really mindful of is the way that you treat him. Because if you continue to treat him like you're not doing anything, I don't respect you, he's already not feeling that way.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm.
1: And so you need to be extra mindful of, even though that's not how you feel, portraying that to him. Right. Of you, you are a great provider. You are, mm-hmm. um, you are, a, you know, you have the ability to move forward and to do what you want to do. You are a successful person because he wasn't feeling those things. Right. So I needed to show that to him.
0: Yeah, I was on the air once with Dave Ramsey. I was on his program with him. Uh, some of you guys are probably familiar with Dave from the radio and we were talking about this very same thing Mm -hmm. it came up about well what about the guy that you know he's out of work for whatever reason and he Mm -hmm. can't or doesn't even seem to try to get the next job so the very thing you're describing Mm -hmm. and and i was explaining to Dave, the first thing to understand is that for many guys uh the the what they do for a living becomes part of their identity and ego and so to start with trying to understand him and what he was struggling through and what he was trying to figure out rather than saying just get out there and get a job it's like help me understand what you're feeling right now. In other words, getting on his side of the table is what I call it so that you're not adversary, you're allies, which you figured out, your friend helped you figure out mm-hmm. and you did it very well. But that's an important thing to do. If you want to be treated in a way where you feel respected, if you want him to act in a way where you can respect him, then you first start by respecting him at whatever level he is. Yeah. Try to understand him, try to be on his side, and then help him get to where it is that you want him to go, as long as your expectations are reasonable. right? And I keep going back to that because, as you know, Kimberly, we hear from so many people whose buddies have convinced them, your husband should be doing this, your wife should be doing that. Mm-hmm. They didn't have problems until their buddies intervened and told them what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Well, well, I don't need to elaborate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Awesome. Good point. That's a, that's a great starting point. So depending on where they are, just to sum it all up is treat your husband with respect. And this, this is the same principle for if the roles are reversed. Mm -hmm. It's just that we, it's more likely to see this in wives towards husbands. Um, but even if it's a husband towards a wife, make sure you're starting with treating them with respect where they are right now, making sure your expectations are reasonable and Mm -hmm. having the conversation with them from there and approaching it in a very level-headed manner Mm -hmm. when you have it, because if they feel like they're being attacked or they feel the need to defend themselves, then it's not gonna turn out the way you want.
0: (laughs) One last thing on that. Mm -hmm. When you're speaking from your frame of reference, this is what I feel, make sure that's really the way you do it. One of my really dear friends, we got into an argument one time and I said, but you're not understanding how I feel. I'm trying to understand how you feel. And it made you mad, it made a angrier. I said, so, so speak in terms of how you feel. He said, I feel you're crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so don't do it, it. like that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> the right like use that. of that.
1: No. Not at all. Okay. Well, we have a lot of chat questions that have come in. I'm going to sift through these while you're answering this first question that we had emailed in. So this first question, it says, my wife has pretty much demanded that we separate for her sanity, and so she can be happy. She wants out of the marriage and feels that the separation is step one. I've agreed to do this, but only because I have compassion for how she is feeling, even though I still very much want this marriage. Who should be the one to move out? And what do I do in the meantime to help my marriage be reconciled in the future? I've been working on the pies, but is there anything else that I need to be doing?
0: For those who uh, are not familiar with the material that we teach, let me first explain what PIES are, P-I-E-S. It means physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. Understand P, physical, I, intellectual, E, emotional, S, spiritual. Don't have time to explain all of those in detail right now, but if you go to marriagehelper.com, marriage, helper, marriagehelper.com, you can read all about the PIES there so you can understand what he's saying. If people ever ask my opinions, you, we separate, my opinion is separation is going to work against you, not for you. Is there ever a time to separate? Yes. If somebody's in jeopardy, you, your spouse, your kids, if somebody is in jeopardy, separate, get to safety. Safety is extremely important. Other than that, if you separate, the minute one of you moves out, that actually decreases the tension and because it decreases the tension then either one or both of you will automatically just feel a little bit better right off the bat. And it's like, ah, now I can breathe. Now things are better because he's not here. She's not here. Well, that makes it a lot more difficult to do things to try to put the marriage back together because once you get some relief from the tension of your problems and relief will come if you separate, some relief will come if you separate, then it's that much more difficult to get the other person to come back into the situation to do what needs to be done to reconcile, to put it back together. Therefore, separation generally is not a good idea. Now, again, if somebody's in jeopardy, definitely do it. Otherwise, it's not a great idea. Interestingly, I've even heard of some counselors who tell their clients they're going to do a directed separation. I will decide you need to separate each one of you will see me individually for X period of time. And then I'll decide when you can come back together. Really? (laughs) If your counselor suggests that, I suggest that you run and you Mm -hmm. find somebody else to deal with you because that's just ridiculous. Now there's another dimension, particularly for you husband, now, I'm not sure that this applies in every state, every county, and every city. But there's a general rule around America that if the husband moves out, if you actually leave that domicile, if you move out and go someplace else, you actually give up some things legally. And when it comes to the divorce, uh, that can actually be used against you. Now, again, I don't know exactly how that applies where you live, but that general, true, uh, that general rule appears to work around America in most places. And so you actually, if you're going to move out, I would suggest that you check with an attorney who's very experienced in working with husbands, and when what husbands give up or lose if they move out. And if, if your attorney says, no, there's some things you're going to lose if you do that, I'd recommend that you stay in the home. Now, if she wants to move out, then obviously she can if she cho- so chooses. But then if that were to occur, I would still involve an attorney to make sure that the children have the situation that's best for them. Because it may be that it's best for the children to stay in that home where they have been domiciled, where, where they have their own beds, their own pillows, their own bathroom or whatever that it might be. You, you follow how that works? And so even if she's going to move out and, and if she says, I'm going to take the kids with me, if it were I, I would speak to an attorney and say, help guide me through this process, because I also want what's best for my children. And so in general terms, unless somebody is in jeopardy, I would suggest that you don't move out. But of course, it's your decision. I'm not telling you what to do. And if you stay in the home, and if she stays in the home, be kind, be gentle. Don't nag, don't harangue, don't manipulate, don't push. Because if you ever want a chance of making this reconciliation work at some point, then think this way before you say or do anything. What I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, is that more likely to evoke a negative reaction in my wife or a positive reaction in my wife? And if you think it's more likely to evoke a negative reaction, don't say it. Don't do it. If you think it has a really good chance of evoking a positive emotion in your wife, then okay, say it or do it. But if you're going to stay in that home and even if you choose to leave the home, you for a while need to be extremely cognizant of how she's going to react to what you say and do. Now the fact that she says she wants you to move out for her own sanity makes me wonder, are you nagging her now? Are you pushing her now? If so, Stop that, and maybe her, quote, sanity, end quote, will come back. If, on the other hand, it's because of the fact that she needs you out of the picture so she can do whatever it is that she wants to do, then there's not a lot you can do about helping her sanity because it's really not anything to do with you other than the fact that you're in the way, that you're the obstacle. But do some great self-analysis here. Be honest with yourself. If you're doing things that are driving her nuts, stop it. It's not gaining you anything. So in everything, I'm going to repeat this. It's redundant, but it's that important. Before you do or say anything, ask yourself the question, is she more likely to react with a positive emotion or a negative emotion when I say or do this? Now, did I answer all that question or was there more to it?
1: I believe you answered most of it. And there's another question that came in that's going to piggyback off this. So I want you to give this other aspect to it. Someone else had written saying that Their husband is done, basically. They recognize, the woman who's asking this question recognizes that she's been critical, controlling. Her husband moved to another county once out of the marriage. She follows it up by saying, he's very cold and withdrawn, but he's still willing to meet with me, uh, basically to talk about dividing up our stuff. Mm -hmm. Should I send someone else in, like a pastor someone else, to intervene to try and get him to want to come back? the marriage. She says her husband recognizes that she's made changes,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but isn't willing to come back and make the marriage work.
0: Okay. So as you understand the question, is she asking about the wisdom of doing an intervention?
1: No, that's another question we have. That's a different (laughs) question.
0: Okay. At this point, she just wants to send somebody to talk to him. Yes. Okay. You know your husband and we don't therefore you have a greater understanding of the likelihood of how he's going to react to that person Uh, just the other day an old friend asked me if i'd call an old buddy of mine i mean she's the wife he's the husband and would you call him on my behalf would you help me out if you want to ask somebody to do that you really need to analyze as best you can what emotion is that going to evoke within my husband or wife if the situation is reversed of course How is he or she likely to react to this? If he or she's going to feel manipulated or controlled or pushed or dominated in any shape, fashion or form, then how do you benefit by doing it? And if you think maybe he or she will react positively, okay, I think, I think he'll be okay if somebody goes to talk to him, make sure that whoever it is that you send to talk to him is somebody he truly respects, somebody he truly likes and somebody who has good sense. Because if they go over there and lower the boom on him, like, what are you doing? Get back and uh, do what you're supposed to do. That's probably not going to help. Now, is there someone in his life that could talk to him like that and he would take it? If so, maybe that would work. But the greater likelihood is that it won't. Therefore, first, I would evaluate, I mean, redundant now. How do I think he's going to react? If you think it might be positive, Okay then make sure you pick the person that he would respect and react to well and that that person has good sense. That he'll go over and listen and understand and and gently coax him to do the right thing. Now, if you have a negative on any of those, like, hmm, I think he might react badly, or, hmm, I don't know if he respects the person I would send or not, or, hmm, I'm not sure if that person has good sense, then what do you gain by doing it? If you're not going to gain something, don't do it. Don't throw a Hail Mary pass. Well, that's a kind of a guy illustration for football. Don't do anything out of desperation thinking here's my last gasp. Maybe this will work. Um, he's going to meet with you. You're going to talk about dividing up your assets. If, and when that occurs, I suggest that you be very calm, be very strong. What I mean by being strong is don't give up, things that you really need to hang on to as you discuss that, because you think that somehow giving those things up will bring him back. That's not good. You must stand for whatever it is that you need, but be gentle about it. Be calm. Even if he gets upset, if he says, you're just being mean, you just care about money, whatever, you just stay calm. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I need to do what I need to do to take care of me and our children, if the children are involved. Otherwise, I would not send the person unless I felt really really good about it. If it meet all those criteria, give it a shot. But if it doesn't meet every one of those criteria, well, it's your decision. You do what you think is best, but my suggestion is that's probably not a smart idea.
1: Mhm. And you had mentioned in the what in the question you had submitted that you know that in the past you've been critical controlling And all those things. So question, is he going to see this as another controlling move on your behalf? Um, And if the answer is yes to that, he needs to see that there's a difference in you, that there's some kind of change. And also keep that in mind when you are talking about dividing up your assets. If you've come across as controlling in the past, then you're going to have to be even more sensitive now to how you come across in that conversation and make sure you don't come across as controlling.
0: That's very good. Excellent.
1: Something to continue to fight against, but you can do it. It takes a lot of intentionality, but you can definitely do it. All right, Joe, we have another question that's come in here. Jessica says, my husband still lives at home and has become a full-on alcoholic. Mm. He says it's over with the other woman who lives 1,800 miles away, but now he gets drunk, he begins texting um, with her, and then comes in and accuses me of snooping. He becomes mean and then passes out, and the next morning he doesn't remember anything. Hmm. I'm the only one here who can do an intervention. His alcohol abuse is a deal breaker for me. The stinking drinking thinking is working for me and helping to run her off, but it is destroying him, me, and our daughter. Should I attempt an intervention? He says he still loves me, but not like a lover."
0: Interventions are tough at best, and typically we would say to the wife, in this situation, the wife could be the husband as well, that intervention done just by you may not be the best thing to do. Now, I'm not saying don't do it. Just think about it this way. If you go to our website, if you go to marriagehelper.com, that's marriagehelper.com, you can find on our website, look for, for the intervention document. And there's actually an ebook. I think it's 35 or 40 pages long, and it's free. You can download it for free. There are also two 45-minute audios of where I gave a lecture about how to do, actually gave two lectures, about how to do that intervention. I would strongly suggest that you read that document word for word all the way through, and that you uh, listen to both those audios if you're con- contemplating doing an intervention. Now, when you say that you're the only one there who can do the intervention, of course, the question pops into my brain, are there other people that you could bring in to help with the intervention? You see, interventions typically work because of the fact that the people doing the intervention can bring about negative consequences. In other words, if you don't straighten up, this is something that's going to happen. And if already you guys are having marriage problems uh, to the point where it's like he might say, okay, what negative intervention do you have that'll make a difference to me? Like, for example, if you say you either sober, sober up or I'm leaving, he may think, great, fine, go. I'm going to go find another woman again. So I'm not sure. And if he's committed back and if you're leaving is a big deal, then, yeah, that can be a consequence you can use that if you don't stop what you're doing now, then I'm going to do that. But if that's something that you think, no, in our situation, I I can't use that as the, the negative consequence, then what negative consequence would you use? And so sometimes, particularly when it comes to alcohol, interventions can be done by friends if he respects them at all and if they have any influence over him and if they can bring about any negative consequence, it can be done by children. If they're old enough and can bring about negative consequence like dad, if you don't stop drinking, I'm not gonna spend any more time with you, whatever it might be. Now, I'm not gonna try to replicate here what I've done in a 40 page ebook on our website or on those two 45 minute audios, which are very plain and clear to understand. But if you can't bring about such a negative consequence by yourself, then you're doing an intervention may not have much value. Now, if you do an intervention, even if somebody flies in to help you, your husband's brother, your husband's father, your husband's mother, I mean, sometimes people can come from other places to help you do the intervention since you say you're the only one there. If you do that, remember, not only do you have to have a negative consequence, this is what's gonna happen if you don't do blank, but you have to know what blank is. And so blank could be something like, you've got to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting every day for the next 30 days. Because if you don't have something that they do, or you go to this particular clinic and you dry out. I mean, you've got to have something. This is what you must do. And if you don't do that, here's the negative consequence that's going to occur. Now, understand that interventions with alcoholics on average is the fifth intervention before you actually begin to have some success.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, it's pretty bad, but, but alcohol is such a powerful thing. Think about it this way. If you were to ask somebody in AA who's been going for a period of time, why do you drink or why did you drink? They're going to give an answer like this. They're going to say, because I like the way it makes me feel. Now, you might think, oh, that means being high, and that is part of it. But much deeper than that, what they're saying is, when I'm drinking, I don't hurt. He apparently, based on what you're saying, is in a grief process about that other woman. I know you don't want to hear that. But one thing we'll always do is tell you the truth. I mean, we don't sugarcoat it, we just tell you the truth. And the fact that he's grieving for the little woman, I know that would hurt you, but understand it's a natural human process. Anytime you give up or lose something that was important to you, whether it should have been important to you or not, when you give it up or lose it, you typically go through a grief process. In the grief process, there's some pain. There's also anger. In other words, it's all your fault, that kind of stuff. all that's part of the grief if you will and in that process of doing that that's why he's acting out like he is and drinking like he is and and so it's his way of dealing with the pain therefore if you can't get an intervention done any other way here's one other suggestion for you Go look at the website sparkoflife.org. Isn't that right, Spark of Life? I believe that's correct. Yeah. Spark of Life. S P A R K. Spark of Life. L I V E. L I F E. dot org. They do uh, weekends to help people get over things they've lost. So there'll be people there whose loved ones have died. There'll be people there whose businesses were taken away from them. Even people there in the situation that your husband is in. Spark of Life does a great job with what they do. Their weekend workshops are absolutely amazing. And because they're a much, much smaller nonprofit, they can do something that most nonprofits can't do, which is they actually offer you that seminar for free. Most work, most nonprofits just can't do that because they'd go bankrupt. Spark of life in the way that they're set up with their amazing donors, and they help X number of couples per year can do that. And you may go look at that and just go to them and say this. If, if you can't do the intervention in the normal way, Say, look, honey, I know that you're grieving. I know that you're hurting, but here's a workshop we can both go to that I think will benefit us. But in the meantime, make sure you go to their website and look at it. You may even want to give them a call. And if you call, ask for David or Debbie, David or Debbie, one of those two people, if you call and and try to talk to them. But unless you do something, it's much more likely to get worse before it gets better. People who are drinking alcohol excessively not just to wake up one morning and go hmm that's done i'm over that almost always something has to happen to intervene to make that stop aa is a great organization and finally after all the other suggestions i've given you if nothing else look for a local aa group call them and ask them if they have any suggestions as to what you should do or if you know somebody like for example at your church if you're a church person If an AA group meets there, then talk to your pastor about that AA group and then ask them what that, what they might be able to do to help you do this. But you need to do something. If you can, you need to do something.
1: Mm, Good. All right. Let's go back to some of the questions that we have come in. All right. So um, I'm going to go back to some of these emailed ones. We have a lot of chat ones that have come in, but I need to be able to sift through those on my own for a minute. Here's the next question. My husband and I have been married for six months.
0: Well, wow.
1: Like most couples, we've had occasional fights, but now my husband is having doubts about our marriage and isn't sure he loves me anymore. I suspect he has depression, but he won't own up to that. How can I be supportive but also get our marriage back on track? It seems to be far too early to already be having issues like this.
0: Well, I I would agree that it does seem to be far too early, but you need to understand that it's not unheard of. As a matter of fact, several years ago I read, and I need to go see if, if this is still applicable, but several years ago I read that about half of divorces take place before the third anniversary. If that's the case, then problems do show up relatively quickly. You know, if a person has a certain set of expectations about what marriage is going to be, and then six months into the marriage begins to realize, all those expectations will not be fulfilled then he could go into a state of depression or it may be that he has actually cycled through depressions most of his life. In other words it may be based on the situation of whatever he expected your marriage to be it's not or that he himself through life has gone through this down and up and down and up and down and up. Obviously I don't know enough to, to tell you one way or the other because I don't know the story. How can you help him with the depression? If you can get him to do so, if, and I realize what I'm about to say, you may not be able to pull off, but if you go online, look for PHQ-9. It stands for the Public Health Questionnaire, PHQ, PHQ-9, 9 because the nine is the number of questions on it. phq 9s all over the internet. It's not a diagnostic tool, and don't think of it as such. It's a screening tool. And if you find it on certain websites, then uh, if it were I, I'd look for one that lets you score it yourself. In other words, if you find a website where you have to put the answers in and then they need your email address and stuff like that to send you the answer, if it were I, I'd skip right out of that one and keep going until I found one where I can actually take it, add up my own score. But you also need them to find the website that has the scale at the bottom. In other words, if your score is this, it probably means that. If your score is this, then it probably means that other thing. If you can get him to take it, it's only nine questions. Then when you, if he takes it and takes it honestly, the scoring section at the bottom will indicate whether or not it's uh, no depression, mild depression, moderate depression, severe depression, those kinds of things. And again, it's not a diagnostic tool. It's a screening tool. And if the score indicates, then maybe you can use that to get him to get some help. Honey, I'm so sorry the depression exists. And I'm certainly not sitting in judgment of you in any shape, fashion, or form that you're having this depression. Uh, Sometimes it just happens to people. But let's go see our doc. And so you might take that questionnaire to your first-line doc, whether that's an internist that you see or a family doctor that you guys have or whatever. Uh, I guess even a doc in a box, you know, one of these freestanding walk-in clinics, if you wish. Or if you know of a good therapist or counselor, you might want to take that completed form, PHQ-9, to the therapist or counselor. You say, well, why would I go to a physician? Because he or she can write a prescription for some meds that can help you alleviate some of the problems that come from the depression. Typically, there may be need for more help than just that, but that can help a lot in a hurry. And then if you decide also to see a therapist, now the therapist can't write you a prescription for the meds that can help knock the edge off this right away. If you go see a therapist or counselor and he or she sees that there's some depression there, then he or she can do some talk therapy to help you work through that. But here's what you need to be careful of. If you don't screen that therapist or counselor ahead of time, Mm -hmm. I mean, give them a call. Say, I, I need to ask you a few questions. And one of your questions should be, if my husband were to say he thinks he's depressed because of the marriage, are you going to tell him then that he needs to leave the marriage? Now listen carefully to the answer. What you want here is a firm and hard no. I will not advise him to do that. If you get any other answer than that firm and hard no, hang up the phone, find you another counselor or therapist. Because some work on the assumption of, if I can just make the individual happy right now, I've done my job. Almost said a bad word right here on YouTube. (laughs) Almost said a bad word right here on YouTube. (sighs) Make sure you don't get one that's going to make things worse when it comes to destroying your marriage. Now, if he's been doing that all of his life, the meds are going to be crucial. Okay, and and don't feel bad about that. Now, if you're thinking, but what if he won't take the PHQ-9? Well, you can kind of take it for him. It won't be nearly as accurate, but just based on your observation, you can guess at the answers to those nine questions. It'll be just a guess though. Some will have better guesses than others, but from that, you can still get an idea if he's depressed. Here's the point, if he really is depressed, if he really is, it's gonna be hard to overcome whatever marriage difficulties there are if he doesn't deal with the depression. Don't try to force him to go to the doctor. Don't try to force him to go to a therapist. Speak as his pal, not as his enemy. Get on his side of the table metaphorically. We're saying, honey, I love you. I hate seeing this misery. You know, there's something we can do here that can help pretty quickly or that you can be happier. And, and I'm happy to go with you. So try to do it as his ally, the person on his side, getting him to whatever help that he needs. But if indeed he really is depressed and the PHQ-9 will give you a good idea as to whether or not he is. If he's really depressed then getting to the right help would be crucial just don't make him go lead him don't push him
1: mm-hmm. this is i love this question because this was how i felt a lot in my first six months 12 months of my marriage other than the i wasn't sure i loved my husband anymore but that it was me who was having the whoa marriage is way different than what i thought it was For us, we moved halfway across the world. In our first two months of marriage, we moved to Korea. My husband was in the military. It was just very different. And I was depressed. I was away from family. I was away from friends. He was all I had, and he wasn't there all the time. He was working. And so we would fight, and I thought, this isn't what I was expecting. And it was, for me, the expectations I had and the reality of marriage didn't sync up. And so, like Joe said, I did go to one of the therapists that was on the military base, and he told me, he said, "If you weren't ready for this, you should have never gotten married." And it didn't bring hope. No. It didn't bring encouragement. Yeah,
0: but lots of help, right? Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. I thought this isn't at all what I needed. And actually, the thing that helped most for me, number one, was um, I did figure out a way to to you know deal with my anxiety, to deal with my depression. But that also looked like, for me, getting involved with friends, getting some other support outside of my husband. Now, the tables are different here in the terms that it's your husband who's having these thoughts and he, um, I don't know what y'all's situation is. I don't know why he might be having it. It could be that there's a difference in expectation and reality. And one of the things that I would encourage you to do as a first step, along with what Joe was saying, is to go through our love path kit. To get the Art of Falling in Love book that we have that talks about that process of falling in love and to start that if possible together, but if not just on your own, because it's going to outline for you at least a process that you can begin to follow so that you can get some of those expectations and reality in line with each other. That's what I would say.
0: I think that's a good idea if he'll do that with you. Right. You read to the book together, work through the workbooks together. You can even watch the DVD together, and mm-hmm. it'll take you through a series of exercises yep. that can help you do that. How would they get one of those?
1: Yeah, so you would have to contact us because that's a special order. We don't sell it on Amazon. It. Um, I don't even have it here to show you, but... Actually, I think there's some right over there. I just can't get to them. So, but you can contact us. Again, that number I gave, 866-903-0990. And I believe it's uh, less than 50 bucks with shipping. And you get the book, you get the DVD, you get the two workbooks that go along with it. And it's really powerful stuff. It's really good. And for where you are in your marriage, I would start there and see if it brings up maybe what the real core issue is while you're going through it.
0: Right, but you might still need to get if he's mm-hmm. depressed. If he's depressed, if he is depressed, get get to a physician and get some meds if he's willing to do so.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have some other questions that have come in here. Kevin says this is super short. Kevin says so saying in terms of when you're thinking about whether or not to save your marriage or not. So the saying of "let them go" and if they return, it's meant to be, isn't a good course of action. <laughs> Is that safe to say?
0: (laughs) You know, people, uh, they're mottos for everything. Mm -hmm. And and people say them as if they were just gospel truth. Like, if you just do this, this is the answer. So if you love something, let it go. If it comes back to you, it'll be yours forever. If if not, it was not meant to be, or stuff like that. I mean, no, that's not good. (laughs) Uh, I mean certainly don't try to manipulate, don't try to control, don't try to anchor somebody that doesn't want to be there. Don't tie them down or chain them in the basement. No, all that's wrong. But if you just step back and do nothing and they leave and go away, don't you think maybe you should have tried to do the right kinds of things rather than doing nothing? Now, don't do the wrong things. I mean, if you want to go through our website, marriagehelper, marriagehelper.com, You'll see all kinds of things there, all kinds of articles and eBooks and podcasts. And if you go to, what is it, uh, Kimberly, iTunes?
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: you go to iTunes and subscribe free to Marriage Radio, you can find tons of con- of podcasts there that we have done. In other words, a lot of help, a lot of help. But I'm I'm suggesting that if you just sit back and do nothing, then why? If you really love the person, don't do the wrong things. But at least give it a shot to do the right things if you love this person and want to make it work. And uh, I would suggest that nobody live his or her life by mottos or axioms or sayings that people have.
1: Right. We could get in a lot of trouble if we <laughs> Yeah. If we did that. That's for sure. All right. Joe, I have one, a couple of other questions for you. I'm trying to figure out which one to say first because we only have eight minutes left. Oh. So, this is the one I'm going to go with. I know I haven't prepped you for this question. <laughs> I hate it when it starts like that. But, what are some signs that a marriage is over?
0: I don't know that you have signs that a marriage is over. Okay. Now there are some absolutes. Now I'm going. To, this is going to sound silly, but just stay with me. Obviously, if your spouse dies, the marriage is over. And, I, and no, don't react. If your spouse has divorced you, the marriage is not necessarily over. Uh, I divorced my wife back in, well, more than 30 years ago, and we were divorced for three years and then we remarried each other neither one of us was married to anybody in the interim. And so the fact that you're divorced does not necessarily mean your marriage is over. But if either of us had married somebody else in the meantime, then it definitely would have been over. Um, Alice, as a matter of fact, had already moved on and started dating other people because, you know, we were divorced three years and she had every right to do that. So what then would be it? Well, like I just said, spouse dies, spouse marries somebody else. You say, but what about, I mean, isn't there ever a time when I just, even if my spouse hasn't married somebody else, I know that it's time just to stop, that it's no longer reasonable to stand for this marriage anymore. And I would say, yeah. We talk about this in these terms. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. So if your spouse is leaving you for another person, it, he or she in his or her mind sees that other person as being better. I'm not saying the other person is better. I am saying that's their perception. I know that hurts, but you also know that that's true. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Or if they see being without you as being better than being with it with you. Like for example, if you're mean, if you're controlling, if you're dominating, then they might even see being alone as being better than being with you. Do you follow? You say, well, does those, the, either of those things mean that the marriage is necessarily over? No. But look at the flip side of that same principle. Whenever you realize that the marriage being over is better than standing for the marriage is the time when you need to move on. You say, what do you mean? Okay, now understand this is a judgment call and and you need not to make it like that. As a matter of fact, you may need some good and wise counsel from people who are objective, not people who are prejudiced towards you or prejudiced against your spouse. So for example, a guy told me not long ago that his wife um, not only has abandoned him and his children, but she's now going to these uh, sex clubs where that, and she's going regularly, I mean regularly, where she's having sex with a lot of different people every night that she goes, men and women. And this has been going on for some period of time. And she's saying to him, you could never replicate that. That's now what I live for, that kind of a sexual thrill. Now, does that mean she can't be rescued? Not necessarily means that. But he finally came to the realization on his own that